Welcome to the ghost show online, my fiends, booze, and ghouls. <laughs> Your hosts, Seeker Groves, Rachel Benter, and Ian Russell will discuss all things paranormal. Prepare to be afraid. afraid. Welcome to The Ghost Show, and I am one of our hosts, uh, Sika Groves. I am an archaeologist, but I'm also a paranormal investigator and a medium, and Ian is with us today. Ian, you want to introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Ian. Uh, I am a paranormal researcher and a paranormal investigator. There we go. And normally we would have Rachel Bender with us today, who is a medium as well as a paranormal investigator, but she's unfortunately not available. She has a furnace emergency. It's getting cold and apparently her furnace is not working today. So they're working on that. So today's topic, we're going to, we thought we'd take a little dive into uh, ghost stories around the holiday of Christmas. Because in the Victorian era, ghost stories were more popular at this time of year than they were at Halloween. Today, we generally associate ghost stories with Halloween, do we not? We do indeed. We do. But during the Victorian era, ghost stories were very popular at this time of year. And I don't know, Enoch, did you have a chance to do any research on why they were popular? Or No, I was just about to ask you that question as... Why were they so popular around Christmas time back then? Yeah, well, I think really what it was is that we know that, of course, they didn't have television or film or any of those kinds of, you know, sort of modern technologies. And at that time of year, like we know when we live in the Northern Hemisphere, it gets very cold and very dark. And, you know, we're coming up to the solstice, the winter solstice, which will be the shortest day of the year and the longest night of the year. So at this time period, you would have been in the dark quite a bit to begin with, right? Because the, as we know, the sun is going down already just after 4 p.m. And at that time, and we're talking, you know, earlier on in, in the, um, the era, even the late Georgian period and into the early Victorian period, before electricity or gaslighting was something to be had in homes, people were using candles to light their, their spaces. And so at this time of year, you would have been going through more candles because it was darker earlier. And... You know, so so that's there's something to be said about darkness and the things that we associate with darkness, and I think that as we know, even in our modern world that we are now, we tend to like to believe that ghosts lurk about more in the dark than the daylight, and I think as researchers and, and investigators, we know that it doesn't really matter what time of the day it is. That's right. Right. It, it's. It happens all the time. It doesn't have to be dark, but I think when we enter into darkness that our senses seem to 
become more perceptive as well, right? So your eyesight might, might not be as good in the dark, but then your hearing. Your other senses pick up that, that drop off. That, they do. They and, do. and intensify. Yeah, they seem to intensify. So I think much like that, this time of year in the Victorian period or late Georgian period, that, you know, these kinds of things would intensify. You spent more time indoors. It was dark. It was gloomy. Um, and your forms of entertainment were quite limited to, you know, playing games or listening to music. You know, and, and at that time, it would have had to be somebody who could play the music because there was no radios and telling stories. And this is where I think we see the introduction of the ghost story associated with this time of year because of the darkness, the shorter days, the longer nights, the idea of um, the solstice as well, but also that this is a time of year where we know the veil has somewhat thinned during, you know, during Halloween or, or Samhain. And right. so we have this whole perception of the spirits being closer to us here on the earthly plane. And so these stories really do pique people's interests. And we have to look at it as a form of entertainment because that's really what it was. And there's nothing more fun than sitting around a roaring fire listening to someone tell a good ghostly story. And we're all very familiar with a Christmas Carol or Scrooge as most people call it. Yes. But it's, it's actually called A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And I have behind me, this is an original illustration from the book. Oh, very cool. Which Charles Dickens wrote and released. And in, I think it was 1842, actually, when the book came out. So at a period of time where, again, we don't have electric lighting, we don't have radios, we don't have television, but we have great stories to tell. And while everybody thinks this is kind of a Christmas tale, because it is around this time of year, Charles It's Dickens, actually a ghost story. It's a ghost story, right? Yeah. Yes, indeed. And it's also a story of morality too, right? It's sort of a moral tale. Um, we look at a number of different things throughout the story with Ebenezer Scrooge and his life and, you know, what made him sort of the penny-pinching miser that he is in the story. And, you know, when he was a young man. So we get this whole real encapsulation of how Scrooge ends up being who he is. And then we have this moral dilemma of, you know, what happens to him when he's visited by the three spirits and you know it it kind of takes us on that journey of perhaps making scrooge realize that he's not been the nicest kindest man over a quite a few years and that you know this intervention if you will by these spirits makes him rethink you know his sort of moral direction in his life as to you know he could be kinder and more forgiving and more thoughtful of people and less obsessed by money and you know goals of making money 
And so it's a very interesting story. And Charles Dickens was a real people person in terms of um, writing about people's characters. I mean, all of his books are very character driven with a sense of morality because at that time period, let's face it, um, you know, the church and religion had a great influence on everyday people. And so these stories kind of wander down that road of, you know, people veering off in directions that maybe, like I say, even with Scrooge, were not considered to be very nice. <laughs> and they weren't very neighborly. You, they weren't very nice. So the idea here with the, with the ghost stories is that there's an element of fear right? There's an element of surprise. There's an element of the unknown. And I think that this story, A Christmas Carol, really talks about all of those things sort of in various capacities throughout the, throughout the story. So it's it a does. Compelling yeah. Story. yeah, it's a very compelling story. Also, we have other ghost stories. I mean, Charles Dickens had a whole anthology of ghost stories geared towards this time of year, this Christmas or this holiday Yuletide. Um, it wasn't just the one story. And I mean, we mostly know this story because- Right, right. that's the most popular one that everyone thinks of and gravitates to. Right, and it's because it became popular because Hollywood popularized it for us <clears throat> in our- Yes, exactly. Home. You've got that classic movie Mm -hmm. made in the 50s with Alistair Sim that My everybody regards as the most classic of any version that's ever been produced. Yeah. And it and it, and it is it's it's wonderful. It's fabulous. It is. it is. I mean and he's still my favorite actor who played the character of of Ebenezer Scrooge. I think hands down he just encapsulated everything about oh, he the did. character. He did. He was phenomenal in that role. But like I said, Dickens had other stories as well. And there's a whole anthology of his ghost stories around this time of year. But we have other writers who wrote, um, and there were Penny Dreadfuls written as well that came out around this time of year that touched on either ghosts or creatures of the night, you know. And so again, it's the darkness and that, and in, again to that the Victorian culture people were very close to death right and when I say that it was part of their everyday life we're fairly removed from it now like we don't generally keep our sick in our home with us they end up going to a hospital or going to you know places but in that time all of this would have taken place in the home for the most part. So you would have been quite close to it children would have seen their grandparents, you know, being ill and, and perhaps being bedridden. And, you know, it, it was just a part of life, right? And, and children as well. I mean, it was all walks of life were affected by, by death in the Victorian era because they didn't have the modern medicine and all of the tools that we have today. But it seems odd to us because we're quite removed from it for the most part. So, you know, we don't see a lot of these stories like we had back then. But another really great one is a story called The Ghost and the Bone Setter. And it's- Oh, it, I know the name. I, I don't- 
I don't believe I've ever read it, but uh, the name is familiar, yes. It's a short story written by Joseph L. Fanu, who was an Irish writer. And it's a fantastic story. And while it doesn't necessarily talk about, you know, Christmas or the holiday like Scrooge does, like in, in A Christmas Carol, um, this one was very well known to be read, you know, sort of in front of the fire at this time of year. But really great stories. Um, that one too is a really fun story around a ghost and a graveyard and a rectory house and you know just a kind of a story of a father and a son and uh, you know what happens in the graveyard when um, someone dies and it's based on the the Irish belief of if you are the last person over the wall and in the graveyard to be buried that you are responsible for bringing water to all the other spirits that are in purgatory until you know somebody comes to replace you and so it's a really interesting story but again very popular around this time of year and this was something that uh you know, there's just, like I said, there's so many great ghost stories out there that people aren't aware of in terms of the Victorian era and the association of, of this time of year. Is there anything that you might want to add or ask or are you? Well, there's, um, it's interesting to note that um, in, in today's culture and society that over in Finland, mm -hmm. um, there is a Christmas Eve tradition of the exchanging of books yes on I christmas well. eve and then you spend your christmas eve reading the book eating chocolates drinking wine or or, or whatever and in keeping with the whole victorian tradition that we're talking about who's to say that some of those books aren't some of these victorian tales that well, yes. I mean, it's it's a really rather interesting thing, but Iceland does that. And, and there's there's probably people in Finland who are watching this right now are screaming at me going, no, no, that's not. The... That's not why we but, do it. Uh... Yes. Well, that's it. I mean, and there, there have been, you know, a number of shows that have been based on on this kind of thing. I think the History Channel had a like a documentary type thing talking about ghost stories at Christmas time and and that, but I, I find it fascinating that, um, you know, we- Well, I think, I think it's just so cool that they do this I, on, on Christmas. That's, it's so different from what we do here in North America. Well, and that's it. I'm, I'm taking a second. I just want to pull up um, some actual titles from then. I mean, I have a whole, quite a large collection of them. But I want to, um, I want to just, you know, talk about resurrecting this tradition. <laughs> you know? It's like, to me, it's, it's always kind of been there. But my family, you know, we, we sort of talk about this because we, I'm not the only medium in my family. And so, and my uncle's very perceptive. My mother is, she just likes to pretend she isn't. My kids are. So, you know, for us to sit around, it could be summer barbecue or it could be, you know, these things come up quite frequently in our household, right? But um, I'm just looking to see 
I wanted to see if there was a few other ones that we could um, could discuss because I mean I know so many. Um, he, now here's a good one too that I have in book form and I should probably just discuss it, but I want to uh, talk about, um, as I said, some of the things that were published at that time that were popular with everyday people, but there was a magazine called Household Words in 1859. And at that time, it was all year round, um, they would include at Christmas time, a special ghost story. But then there was um, all year round, which was literally a, I want to say not a penny dreadful per se, but a, a, a serial, I guess, of stories that would be published once a month. And it regularly included ghost stories, right? So um, there was a story known, it was called The Haunted Man. And that one was a feature about an unhappy man who uh, changed his ways after a visitation by a ghost. Hmm, sounds familiar, mm -hmm. right? Because Dickens actually um, essentially wrote these as serial pieces and that's how A Christmas Carol was born. It was a number of stories that he had written around this theme and he sort of compiled them together combine them together yeah create yeah. this full story right so um there's another one called uh the seven poor travelers which was written in 1854 and that one is a witching time story so it talks about witches and you know things like this um so it's not just like i said the ghost stories per se um, there's a there was a half a penny dreadful called Varney the Vampire, mm -hmm. and Varney Varney the Vampire was again a serial story that uh, came out about a vampire who you know I I am still fairly certain to this day that this is where Dracula was born mm -hmm. from this serial called Varney the Varney the Vampire. Um, I know of it, and uh, they actually made a movie about it. Yeah, and but I think that that was really sort of the hot vampire story of the day, right? And yes. then we have, yes. we have these other stories that sort of grow from that, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, which takes a number of stories and sort of combines them together. And you end up with this, this idea of, you know, because to me, it, it, it almost feels very much like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as well only you know sort of gone off in a, in a slightly different direction but there's a lot of the very similar elements at hand i think what makes um dracula different was that it was written as a form of letters back and forth you know a form yes. of letters but that was a very popular style of writing in that era so it's not again it's not the first story to have its basis in a series of letters it's just it was the idea but a lot of these stories were around this time of year. So not Halloween orientated, you know, we weren't, we weren't, they were not putting out stories for Halloween. Halloween in the UK is not, even today, not celebrated like it is in the United States or Canada. Correct. They don't, yeah. they, they don't really go in for this whole door-to-door -door trick-or-treating candy game. Well, over in the UK, Halloween, they still hold on to the old mm -hmm. traditions of, of um, Samhain and the end of the harvest and, 
and yeah. the traditional meanings in behind the holiday. Yes, and, and ancestor worship and, and remembering those who passed from your family and those kinds of things, which oddly enough, you know, when you take that and in that dark period, because it is starting to get dark at that time, that last harvest and moving in, again, we see a theme, right? And that theme does carry right through, and especially for Victorian ghost stories. Um, some of the themes for people may seem more like Halloween to us today, but it's just a, simply a shift of, you know, a few months. And it's, it works quite well to take some of those old stories that were popular at Christmas time and shift them towards Halloween, which is what has happened in our modern take on, on you know, ghost stories and, and the time of year that they take place. But again, too, I mean, we obviously have to look at the tradition of not just the ghost story, but the tradition of Christmas. I mean, it is fundamentally a Christian holiday although it is based in, you know, pagan roots, right? The pagan, pagans were celebrating Yuletide and the solstice. And, you know, so the so Christians have borrowed the dates and the times of the solstice and have applied, you know, their, their mythos to, to this, um, this time of year as well. But we have a lot of stories as well. And even if you look at the birth of the Christ child, Right. There's some, you know, there's some interesting, almost supernatural elements to that story as well. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the angels and, you know, the wise men who knowingly knew that the Christ child was born and just, you know, somehow found their way from many places yes. of the yes. earth. And, you know, so, I mean, we have these associations and not, well, it's not necessarily ghostly. It's definitely has a supernatural element to it. Um, you know, Christians are probably screaming at me right now, <laughs> but, you know, let's face it. It's, it's hardly a, I mean, there's a realism to what could possibly have happened as, you know, the birth of a child, but then there's a lot of added drama through supernatural elements that that are applied to the birth of the Christ child as well. So, you know, it's like, how do you decide what's a ghost and what's a spirit and what's an angel and what's, you know, what's supernatural and what's not, right? I think that all cultures have their own beliefs and, you know, they, they find a place. And especially in North America, where we are a very blended melting pot of many cultures, um, those stories tend to, you know, come together. And it's whether we're telling them at Halloween or we're telling them now <laughs> around this time of year, like Krampus, Krampus, you know, Krampus knock, right? Coming up. Yeah. Night, another <clears throat> great element of, um, what now gets associated with Christmas, but was again, not really a Christmas creature until St. Nicholas was brought into the picture. And, and then Krampus became the, the anti-Santa yeah, Claus. Exactly, he's like the anti-Santa. But at the end of the day, he really was a um, creature who was bringing in winter, right? Coming out of the mountains and, and it was enough to, scare and terrify and to you know people to stay indoors in the dark of winter 
because these creatures were roaming the mountainsides and, you know, I mean, they're based on their culture of herding and goats and, you know, alpine culture. But again, it's a pagan root for, you know, Krampus, but has somehow found his way into yes, <laughs> yes. Christian belief system. And I, I find those funny. So again, it's, you know, the idea of ghosts and other supernatural creatures finding their way into what many sort of perceive as this, you know, holly jolly Coca-Cola Santa. <laughs> but it didn't start out that way, right? And I think that if we look at the tradition of, let's say, Christmas, the Christian version of Christmas, um, you know, there's a, there's a wider picture there for people to pick and choose from. Um, but Christmas itself is a real mishmash of many different cultures and ideas that have come together over the years. And, you know, for the most part, uh, based in a lot of pagan belief with a little sprinkle of Christianity tossed in mm -hmm. with the Christ child, you know, having purportedly to have been born on the <laughs> on the day of, you know. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm not here to say here nor there for that. I just want to say, you know, I think the popularity of these stories comes from something much larger than just the Victorian period. You know, it, it comes from people's cultures across millennia of, you know, lifetimes of, of people. And it's just that at the time of the, um, the Victorian period, when, you know, sort of, especially in North America along, you know, the already colonized areas, as well as in England, and perhaps Scotland and other areas of the United Kingdom, that it really was a blending of many belief systems that came to bring these stories forward. And Dickens, interestingly, you know, stays away from <laughs> any real um, concept of, of Christianity other than talking about goodwill towards men and, you know, these sort of moralistic things. And, but at the same time, you know, when we have like behind me, the, the ghost of Christmas past, right? And, you know, with the feasting and the eating, I mean, when we look at this gentleman and we can't see him fully here, but, you know, in his beautiful lush green robe and, and, and in the movie where he's sitting with this big feast around him and he's eating and he's got the garland of holly on his head and the crown, that's really yeah. harking back to Yuletide, you know, the Yule um, pagan traditions of ga gathering holly and ivy and feasting and, and you know, sharing wassail, right? The wassail and the, mm -hmm. the idea of wassailing because Christmas carols were not something that uh, as much as we want to believe they were sung in the Victorian era, for the most part, they were not allowed. Many religions did not allow you to sing those songs. And so that's why some of those songs such as Silent Night or um, Oh Holy Night were based on church hymns that got brought forward because yeah. you're not really allowed to celebrate these, you know, <laughs> the way that we see it today. I mean, Christmas has changed drastically in the last even 50 years, I think. Um, you know, just oh, for sure. 
with the way it is. But um, I would love to see more people, you know, buying their kids ghost stories and, and reading these books to kids, um, you know, and it's sort of telling them the idea of where these stories come from. Maybe you don't like ghosts. Maybe they're scary. Maybe they're, you know. But the idea is that there's so much more around the reasoning behind it. And I think we only learn when we, we dare to venture forward and, you know, go past our comfort zone and truly understand that, you know, these stories were popular at that time because people were living without modern lighting and without modern technology and that books were really a privilege and that storytelling was a gift, you know, for someone to sit down and be able to tell a good story. That was really something that people cherished, right? Absolutely, and yeah. That oral history. And even though it's a story and you're reading it, it's still oral, right? We're, we're telling those stories. And in some cases, you know, we don't need the book. We, we know the story well enough. I mean, I can certainly tell a Christmas Carol without ever cracking the book open because I've been doing it for so many years that yeah. I can tell my own version of the story and still have all of the major elements to it. But, you know, I don't need to use the words verbatim from the book. And I think that that's really the, you know, the fun of it. I mean, even the Grinch that stole Christmas is a great fun story. It's modern. Mm -hmm. It's still got all of those, it hits all of those earmarks outside of ghosts because we don't have any ghosts in it. It, it does, it, it does, yes, absolutely. It still hits all of those marks of that idea of a, you know, that type of supernatural creature because the Grinch is certainly not a, you know, something that's a living <laughs> in our world. And the Who's are potentially not human either but you know it's it's a supernatural story of morality and bringing community together and experiencing joy and you know the the pleasure of being with your fellow human and gift giving and all of those things but for all of the right reasons right because the Grinch learns at the end that again it's not really about all the gifts right so I mean even Scrooge the same the same situation right it's not really about right. money it's about the family the ghost and the bone setter um the same idea you know it's about understanding family and and what brings us together and what ties us together so these stories I think really even though it seems macabre and odd at, at this time of year they do have a place because we are moving into that dark cold desolate period of death in a way where the earth everything in the northern hemisphere dies back the trees drop their leaves all of these things happen the earth essentially is covered in a blanket of snow and we have rebirth in the spring right so it just the succession of it really makes sense to me that ghost stories should be told in the coldest darkest months of the year Thank you for watching The Ghost Show Online. Join your hosts again next week as they discuss more tales of the supernatural, the paranormal, 
and all things spectacular. See you soon. See you soon.